The Whole Life Success Show, Episode 17. Discover your path to success with the truth, fresh perspectives, and the real-life advice that you need in order to achieve life success. Hello, Life Warriors, and welcome back to the Whole Life Success Show. I'm your host, Paul Mantello, and I'm glad to have you back today. On today's show, we have a special guest, and his name is James Clowley. He's a retired addiction counselor as well as a graduate of the Social Service Worker Program at Niagara College and the Addiction Studies Program at Mac Masters University. He's also the author of A Man's Work is Never Done, a novel about mentoring our sons. James has worked with teens, families, single moms, and dads for many years covering a wide range of issues. He's been a single parent of two children, a son and a daughter, which has allowed him to add his own personal experiences to his wealth of information. And he's here to talk to us about guiding young men through the transition from boyhood to manhood. Hello, James, and thank you for joining us today. Hi, Paul, and thank you for having me on your show. I certainly appreciate the opportunity to kind of spread the word and and to talk about this uh, most important topic. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on the show. I'm glad you can make it today. It sounds like a really interesting topic and something that, you know, I firmly believe in as well. Now, James, I guess I'd like to start off by asking you if you could tell me a little bit about what led you to writing the book, A Man's Work is Never Done. Um, yeah, that's a that's a great question, a great way to get started. Um, I because I, of my work at the center where I uh, where I worked as an addictions counselor, um, and I worked there for you know, over 20 years. Um, I had a, a variety of opportunities to talk to um, men uh, who were coming through the program uh, who had abandoned their families, who had walked away from their families, and consequently had had walked away from their sons as well as part of those families. And I also had the opportunity uh, there to talk to young men who had been abandoned by their fathers and what that, the experience was like for them and how, how devastating it was and how uh, it pretty well sums up uh, about 75% of the people that came through our center, uh, how they got there. And, and the, although the stories, the stories were very similar, um, they were, they were really quite different as well because we're all, like snowflakes. I mean, we all have similar stories, but we all bring different experiences to those stories and to the option uh, to the uh, to the relationship. So that's that got me really interested in it, and I got thinking about why is that happening and 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 what's going on. And what coupled up with that for me was the realization that life was changing, and and especially for men uh, in society. Um, there's changes were happening. Um, things were the, the description of what men should be like and how they should act and where, where you know where they come from and where they should how they should be now and and all that kind of stuff coupled up with the experiences of the center got me going about the uh, about this topic and and what needs to be done in order to change it. When I got looking into this whole thing around some research and there's some great research done. What I found was there was a tremendous uh, amount of, um, how to say, uh, number of kids, number of young men who were in, in desperate trouble. I, I've, I've categorized this whole fatherlessness thing um, as probably the number one social issue of our day. And, and I understand that that's a huge statement to make when we think about homelessness and we think about 
the, the civil unrest and all this kind of stuff in the world. But when when I got looking at it and I started reading the research, there is to me there is nothing more important now, especially today in today's world for young men. Um, there's nothing more important than solving that problem. How do we keep fathers engaged with their sons? Um, how do we keep them in the homes if that in their in their domestic homes if that's the case? And how do we deal with this problem? Um, of fatherlessness if dads just don't want to stay in the home? How do we keep them engaged? Because um, the penalties now for, in, in terms of fathers who say can't pay child support, the, the penalties are not, uh, are not um, conducive to, to fostering relationships between fathers and sons who want to be in a relationship with one another. But quite the contrary, fathers are penalized jail term uh, terms. Uh, if you don't pay your child support, you can go to jail um, and all that kind of stuff. So to me, we're just, it seems to me we're traveling in the wrong direction around this whole social phenomenon of, of fatherlessness. And um, so my whole thing is I, I started to write the book because I want to, I want to create or I want to enjoin a critical mass of people um, who kind of feel the same thing and feel the same way. We, we need to be working to keep families together as opposed to trying to drive them apart. And, and right now we're driving them apart. Absolutely. And now from your experience, what do you feel is the major cause, if there is one in particular, that is causing this wedge, so to speak, that's driving men away from their fatherly duties? Um, I, I think... Uh, for me, I, I don't think that there's any one particular reason why, but there's certainly a lot of contributing factors. I mean, uh, I've I talked to I talked at nauseum to to folks that have done the social research, and and I mean, there's a whole variety of ideas and, and, and possibilities out there. The one that kind of stays with me is is the, the the environment in which men are now living is changing so rapidly. Um, and it's the, the, the changes are so deep seated that men can't keep up with the change. We, we can't, we, we don't, number one, we don't understand what society wants from us as men. We can't, um, a lot of men don't feel like they have, um, the wherewithal to be who they actually are in society. I mean, there's a dramatic difference, obviously, and I'm stating the obvious here, but there's a dramatic difference between how women see the world and how men see the world. And, and we bring, different gifts into the world when we come into it. Um, men uh, traditionally have been known to, to be providers and protectors and gatherers and hunters and all that kind of stuff. And, and, um, and I'm not saying that we need to go back to that, but what's being denied men these days are those simple opportunities to, to focus on those given gifts. And I call them gifts because I believe they are, um, and we're we're being told now that that well you know you you can't be the protector or the protector anymore and you can't be this guy and you can't be this you got to be more like this you know Paul when I look at it and and when I think about it it's pretty simple in terms of what's happening for me if you take the thickness of the front door of somebody's house as being two inches on one side of that two inches the domestic side dads are expected to be something other than what they had been in the last three decades four decades. Uh, we're, we're expected to be much more nurturing and caring, and, and, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be, and I'm not saying that we aren't, but what I am saying is it's an expectation, 
Um, we need to, we're expected now to take over more of the domestic duties in the home and all that kind of stuff. And again, with, with both partners working, you got to have, there's, there has to be a, a, an equal division of, of opportunities and, and, and work in the house to keep the house going. I get that. That's not a problem. But when that man goes outside that two inch barrier, that front door and gets in his car, He's now expected to be a road warrior. He's supposed to be the tough guy at work. He's supposed to be climbing the social ladder and the and, and the professional ladder so that he can he can um, build up the, the the good fortunes of the family and all that sort of stuff. And then at the end of the day, he's expected to go home, walk through that two inch door again, and be and go back to the guy that he was expected to be, the, the caregiver, the nurturer, and all this sort of stuff. It's, it's almost schizophrenic in terms of what is expected of men these days. And, and we're supposed to be able to play both roles and we can't. And, and it's hard for us as men to figure out what is my role now? What, what is my place? What is my role? Where do I fit in? And a lot of men aren't finding answers to those questions and they're frustrated and they're angry and we're resentful. And consequently there's domestic strife and and power structures now are, are challenged and all. so there's a whole bunch of things it's not just social economic stuff it's not culturally based because this is a phenomenon now Paul it's going around the world I mean this is this is these um, things are happening in traditionally strong cultural families you know, Japanese oriental families Chinese families uh, uh, Middle Eastern families uh, this is happening in all of those places now so I can't. I can't honestly say that there's one specific reason why it's happening. All I know is that it is. It's happening, and and it's and it's severely destructive. And I mean, I've seen the effects of it, and uh, basically, from my standpoint, from coaching clients and and things that I do, I notice that it's a big cultural change that's going on. Like you said, it's global. Everywhere you turn, and I've had discussions with people too of myself where it's like. Well, listen, a man is the only one that can teach his son how to be a man. A woman, no matter how great she is, just doesn't have those capabilities. It's the same as trying to ask a man to raise his daughter to be the best woman without having the insight. You know, and sometimes I get some looks that people thought right away, hey, he's a chauvinistic pig and <laughs> sexist. And, <laughs> and, and, and it's like, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, you know, I know I, from my own personal experience, I have two sons. One's 10 and one is 7. And I I know that their mother loves them to death and she, you know, treats them like little mama's boys. But at the same time, I have to be there to teach them how to be men because at a certain point in time, they're going to leave. And when they leave that nest, I need to know that they're going to know how to fly and that they're going to be able to do it on their own, and that even if they do crash land, they're not going to come running back to me because I gave them the tools that were necessary that, you know, mother hen can't give them. I, I, I wish I could see you face-to-face. I'd give you a hug, you know? You know, you know how <laughs> hard it is for, for people to understand that point of view, and, and that is exactly what's happening, how you outlined it. You outlined it extremely well. That's exactly what's going on. There are messages out there that young men need to hear from only from their dads. They can only hear it from another man. And and like you said very well, this doesn't take away from what moms do. It doesn't take away from who they are. What they do and who they are is extremely important. And there's no question about that. And I don't doubt that for a minute. But there are messages that cannot be translated or transferred to a young man from mom and have it stick. It just doesn't work. 
And 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 I, I brought up a daughter as a single parent and I brought up a son as a single parent. And there was absolutely no way that I could tell my daughter what she could expect as a young as a woman in the world. How would I know? I've never been female. We 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 don't see the world the same way as females see the world. The world treats women differently than 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 it treats men. Uh, women are seen as being different creature creatures in the world, you know, than than men are. Um, if you just go with communication styles alone, I mean, women tend to be horizontal communicators, where men tend to be vertical communicators. Uh, meaning that we we don't share our stuff with other men much, but women always share their stuff with other women to get consensus and all this. Stuff. We just are two different, completely different people, and you cannot we cannot expect the women of the world to be able to teach the young men of the world what it's like to be male. It, it's in, I, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it's very, very highly unlikely. And young men are not looking for moms to help them become men in the world. They're looking for dads to do that. I, I spent a lot of time just walking around malls, just studying people because I love studying human nature. And, and I'm not I'm not really one that's big on, on kind of uh, basic research programs and all this sort of stuff. I, I, I like the stuff where I can see it. And, and if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably the duck. Watching little guys, watching the young, and you've got a couple of little fellas there, but the sound of a 10 and 7 and and watching those kids in around those age groups, around the four, five, six mark, something like that, they're in awe of dad. They just want to be with dad, and, and it's really interesting. They'll hold his hand. They reach out. They want to, They want that stability and that security of knowing that dad's close by, and they want him to teach them how to survive as a man in the world. They don't know that yet, but that's exactly what they're looking for every time they, they go out the door with dad and all that sort of stuff, and that's not something that a female can teach them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's like a, a second nature. You know, it's a basic instinct that they know to look at dad for the safety, the security. And, you know, like you said, it's two different, almost two different animals, you know, male and female. And, you know, we started off pretty much the same, but the the feelings are different. You know, women, for the most part, wear their sleeves. Uh, I mean, excuse me, wear their feelings on their sleeves where men are more reserved. Like you said, we usually don't talk about things. You know, we're much more reserved and we're a lot, we take a lot longer before we make a decision on, yep. you know, how things are going to turn out. But now, touching back on what you said earlier about, you know, society doesn't know what to expect from us, you know, whether you're supposed to be more nurturing or, you know, more rugged. I know from my own personal experience, growing up as a, as a child, my father was the, you know, um, quote-unquote, regular man, you know, where he went to work, he was the breadwinner. He went to work, he busted his hump, he came home, it was feed me dinner, watch some TV, and that was about it. There wasn't much interaction between, you know, children and, and, and father, you know. It's just mm -hmm. that's not the way it was. But at the same time, he's the one that laid down the law and, you know, taught us right from wrong and the things that we needed. And just from now playing back the events of my childhood, I could see how that old school men method of thinking, um, because I had two sisters, or I have two sisters, and he would try to treat them exactly the same way, you know, and that's where my mother would have to step in. So right there you get to see the difference between the two. It's like what you can do with your son, you can't do with your daughter because the two different personalities, two different uh, makeups, you know, the, the feelings and the characteristics are totally different. So it's just amazing that you're finding this information now because I, I see that 
a lot of parents or a lot of fathers, I should say, are becoming more nurturing and they're becoming more caring. And I I think that the the problem that I see in my line of work is that people aren't taking a leadership role. And this is something I discussed in one of my other podcasts, which was that somebody has to be the leader. You know, it yeah. doesn't matter who it is, but somebody has to grab the reins. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and the ones who suffer because of that are the kids, because they don't know who to look for anymore. They, they don't know, you know, is that is that mom's thing? Is that dad's thing? I mean, where is that anyway? Why doesn't he, you know, and and and, and there's just so much confusion out there. And, and some, I mean, I mentioned that I'm not really a big statistical kind of guy, but I mean, I have to kind of live with them to some degree. And there was a an amazing uh, research thing done in uh, the Canadian Children's Rights Council. Actually, it sponsored it and had, had done it. Um, but some of the things that are happening in the home. I mean, if we and and you had alluded to it, if we don't if we don't have healthy homes and healthy homes, I mean that we don't have you know families that are co-parented in in, in the perfect world. Um, and and if young men aren't getting the guidance they need. To transition from that boyhood to manhood stance, um, we're, we're in big trouble, and the numbers kind of point that out. And I just I got a couple here. You know, that young men who come from fatherless homes five times as likely to attempt or complete an act of suicide. Five times. That's wow. and and four out of five young uh, four out of five teens four out of five youngsters or young guys young people uh, are males. That's eighty percent, and I—that's I, I, just completely, totally disproportionate to where it should be at all. I mean, I'm not—I don't want to see any kids kill themselves, but—but but to have four out of every five be male, uh, to me, tells me right off the bat there's something's wrong here. Let's eight times as likely to be involved in the judicial system, ten times as likely to be involved in substance abuse, and I know that for a fact, and that ten is probably very, very low. Um, nine times as likely to drop out of school. They don't finish school. Young men don't finish school anymore. Um, yeah. And if they're not finishing school, they're not educated, then they can't compete for good jobs. Uh, they're always going to have uh, they're always going to have minimum wage part time jobs because they they can't compete with the other folks that are going there. Thirty times, thirty two times as likely to be a runaway or leave home early. Twenty times as likely to become rapists. I mean, that's incredible because they because they don't they aren't being taught. To respect women, they aren't being taught to respect the other half of the planet in terms of who is inhabiting it. Um, if we look at TV shows, if we look at media, if we look at print media, if we look at video, if we look at uh, music style, all that kind of stuff, all subjugates women, and men are right in there going, yeah, 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 and and we're, we're, there's nobody in place to to kind of teach them otherwise to respect. Uh, not only respect women, but respect people as human beings, whether they're female or male, it doesn't matter to me. But th there's no respect taught anymore. There's no consequences for decisions anymore. They, they're, you know, young guys now are, are pretty well free to do what they want, when they want, how they want, whatever, who they want. So, and 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 this and the system isn't doing anything to kind of to to, to fight back against that and say no, 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 you can't do that. That's not okay. That's not cool. And so there's, you had asked earlier about reasons why all this is happening, and that, that's part of it. There's, there's that, that confusion around what's okay for me to do and what isn't. Is it okay for me to punch that guy in the face because I disagree with him? No, it's not okay. But there's no, 
There's no countermeasure to that. There's no consequence to doing it. And dad would usually be the one that said, no, that's not how you do your business. You don't go around beating people up because you don't like them. Um, so again, those, those, just those very simple, basic messages aren't, aren't being taught, aren't being demonstrated in a way that, that, that the young man says, wow, you know, I, I've stepped over the line there. My old man's really kind of upset with me here. Uh, I better back off. There, there's, there isn't any of those kind of cause and effects results now that there used to be. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's primarily because young men are not getting the, the answers to the questions that they're asking uh, in a way that makes sense to them. Yeah, and that makes that makes absolute sense. I mean, especially because as you as you were speaking, I was thinking about it. And I'm saying, okay, well, sure. If there's no dad in the house, you know, the mom can only take it so far because at a certain point in time, the teenage boy can be pretty big and aggressive, especially with all the testosterone running through them. That mm-hmm. you know, a woman can only do so much with them. And it's not just about uh, force, but you know, just uh, even understanding where they're coming from. Because, you know, they have different hormones, so they're not going to understand. And I see this even in my own house because, you know, I'm trying to, I guess, educate my wife on how boys think, you know, and how men think so that she can have a better relationship with my sons. And, you know, she's just like, I can't understand why they do this thing. I'm like, you're never going to understand why. Just the same way, you know, it's the same way that I can't understand why you do certain things that you do. I mean, you know, if there's if there's a sale 50% off, you know, you run to it. I don't, you know, I, I'm fine with keeping the money in my pocket, but, you know, you run out to the sale. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, I, I, I can't understand that, and you can't understand certain things, but we have to understand that, you know, this is just the way it is, and, you know, when it comes to certain things, I'll handle it, and when it's other things, when it's mushy stuff and sensitive stuff, I'll send them along your way, and, you yeah. know, there's going to be, you know, only so much that I can teach them about women that I've learned from my own personal experiences, and then they'll have the mother's touch to teach them the other aspects of it. But now, I mean, I guess for for those who don't have, you know, this father role, I mean, what's the solution? How do we fix this problem? Well, I, and that's an excellent question as well. And I think if, if I mean, in a perfect world, uh, dad would be in the home. Uh, it would be a co-parented home and everybody would understand um, what each other's doing and support each other. And, and your point, I think, was, was a really good one around um, just have to trust that that our partners are doing the right thing. We may not understand why they're doing them, but we need to understand that they're doing them because they think that that's the right thing to do and it's in the best interest of everyone for them to do those things. Because um, I'm not always going to understand what my partner's doing or why. Like you say, the, the sale comes up 50% off and they're out the door, you know. Uh, and you and I, we, we would probably, and I agree, I mean, but you and I would sit back and say, well, you know, um, that's an extra 50 in my pocket kind of thing, you know. <laughs> So it's we we just have to we have to have some trust that our partners are doing what they know and what they do best and we need to support them in those things and and that's not happening in the fatherless homes obviously because there's only one parent there she's she's got to play both roles and and it can't happen um, and, and it's it's being proven out and it's not because mom doesn't want to do it it's because mom doesn't know how to do it you you were asking about um, about what do we do if there's no father in the home? I, I I think what we do is if we if if fathers can't stay in the home itself physically, 
we have to encourage them in some way to stay involved in the sun's life. So that, that means, um, you know, realistic visitation, realistic uh, um, kind of rules for the game in terms of what dad needs to do to support the kid. I'm certainly not advocating that dads don't support kids if they're not in the home. On, on the contrary, they, they need to do that and they have to do that and they must do that. Um, but is it, is, it, is it impossible in some ways for them to do it? Or, or don't, I, I think we need to take a look at, at how we treat uh, fathers who choose to leave their homes, their family homes. And instead of making them community pariahs, we need to ask the questions, what's going on there and how can we support this family? Um, how can we make sure that the kids, both moms and dads, sons and daughters, get what they need to grow up to be good, solid citizens? So, so as a community, we need to rally around those families and provide support, interest. That means maybe uh, creating a, month, a mentoring system where, you know, sort of like big brothers and big sisters. Um, but it's got to be ongoing and it's got to be consistent and it has to be on a regular basis. And in some of those organizations, they, the, the, the mentors only get to be involved with the kids for a certain period of time because there's so few mentors and so many kids, you know, they can only spend six months maybe mentoring uh, one kid and then they've got to give up and move on and, and take on some other youngster, little guy. What happens to that kid after six months? Where does he go? So, we need to set up a mentoring system that's going to be that can that the kids can count on being there consistently for them. We need to we, we need to kind of uh, help kids learn how to spend their time. Um, in other words, uh, if I'm going to mentor some kid, um, I've got a couple of tickets to the football game, so we're going to the football game on Saturday, and then we'll pop out for a bite to eat afterwards, and so on and so forth. If I'm going to do that, I've got to make sure that I do that. And, and too many times, dads with the best of intentions who aren't in the home will make promises that they can't keep. And once they've done that two or three times, the son just learns the, 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 the lesson there. Now the son learns that trust is not something that he can invest in in, in the old in dad. And so once that happens, now that, that relationship is damaged and maybe severed for good. So we have to be very careful how we set up this mentoring system, but we've got to provide good, strong male role models for these kids. And if it can't be dad, then who's it going to be? And it has to be, so that's where, to me, that's where the community comes in. The, the old the old way, the Inuit way, and, and some of the Native, Native American and Native Canadian um, um, societies used to say that it takes a village to raise a kid. Um, and I believe that, um, especially in a fatherless situation, the community's role has to step up and begin to provide that male mentorship for those young men who don't have fathers in the home. And it's, it's, um, it's done. It can be done. It can be also done through the educational system, which is another system that has to be overhauled. It's, it's so outdated and it's so, um, gosh, I, 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 I get a, a loss for words sometimes when I think about what it, what it's not doing and should be doing, but, but it's just, it's, it's old, really, really old school. And it's, the system, the educational system, has lost and lost touch with the community that it serves, and it needs to be rethunk, if there is such a word, and and it needs to be altered dramatically so that it can support these kids as well. Yeah, well, I see that too in my line of work, where you know I'm a big advocate for financial literacy and teaching kids 
at an early age about finances, and unfortunately, yeah. most of the time they learn from their parents, so they're only as good as their parents are. So, I mean, if you look at your right. mom and your dad, where they are now, most likely you're going to be in the same boat. And, you know, listening listening to you speak uh, for the last couple of minutes there, you know, what clicked into me was the same thing with the financial poverty. This is a generational cycle that, you know, has to be broken because if the the, the child grows up, the son grows up without a father, then he doesn't know how to be a father either. I mean, now, I mean, not, not that any of us really do. You know, we learn as we go. But now, if you had no no example, nobody to lead you along the way, now you have no idea. And then part two kicks in where you're in a rush to leave the house and become independent and become that provider and that giver for yourself. So you wind up bailing out and leaving the house. And, you know, you're trying to do it on your own. But like you said, now you're fighting with other people to try to fit in and, you know, compete with them for work, and which I can imagine is only going to lead them to doing illegal activities to make money because they don't have many other avenues to turn to, and partially because the education system is broken all across the United States, I mean, and from what you're saying in Canada, too. Absolutely, and that's a very astute observation because that's exactly what's happening, and and when these kids can't get out and compete for jobs because they're not educated well enough to do it, um, they start nicking into kind of the illegal activities, and 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 that's the, the, I go back to that stat. You know, eight times likely to be involved in a judicial or legal system. I mean, that's that's a large number of people, and um, it, it's just you, you're right again in terms of of viewing what happens or what doesn't happen for them. And you you, you can't you can't know what you don't know, and if you are coming from a system where dad was absent, you're not being taught the skills you need in order to survive in the world out there. It's a tough place and it's a very competitive place. And sometimes it's a very, it's a very fractured place and you have to know how to navigate those waters. And if dad's not around to tell you, how are you going to do it? And, and it's oftentimes it's done through illegality. Um, and I know that coming with the kids and, uh, that were coming through the center when I was when I worked there for all those 20 years, 20 plus years, I mean the common story through all of them was dad wasn't around, uh, and I'll, I would I would lay a bet right now um, that probably 75 to 80 percent of the kids, the young kids, the young men that came through that center were probably fatherless kids, or dad was dad was in the home but was not present, and, and fathers don't have to be don't have to physically be out of the house for them to be for the kids to be fatherless. The kids can be fatherless with dad in the house. Um, he's not. He's he's there physically, but he's not there emotionally for them. He's not there mentally for them. He's not there spiritually for them. And they might. And it's in some cases it's worse to have a father present in the home but not involved in the kid's life, because the kid sees every day and is reminded every day that dad hates his guts. Otherwise, why does he ignore me? Why won't he? Why won't he do things? Baseball? Why won't he take me to fishing? Why won't you know? And so he's constantly, daily reminded that dad is present, but does not like him for some reason. And so they take that on. They own that. They, it's got to be something wrong with me, because otherwise, why is why doesn't he like me? So it must be something that I'm doing wrong. And so now you got a young man that's walking around angry, upset, um, uh, confused. Uh, determined to show dad that he's wrong, so he gets involved with folks that he shouldn't get involved with. I, I'm, I'm always, I'm always really interested to hear the legal professions and the and police uh, folks talking about gangs, and 
and to me, uh, they're never, ever going to take care of the gang situation until they take care of the parental situation. Young kids get involved in gangs for one reason and one reason only, and it's the only family that they have that they can depend on day in and day out. Their comrades got their backs. There's a leader, uh, somebody who's very strong and, and who is very determined to run the show the way he wants it run. Um, that, that becomes the quote unquote, the father image, the father. And, and these kids will do anything to belong and participate in that quote unquote pseudo family. And you're never going to get them to go their separate ways and they, they won't break them up because it's like it's the tantamount to breaking up a family and he doesn't want that to happen. He's already happened once to him. He's not going to see it happen again. And so they become so strong and so powerful and so competitive and so violent. They hold their turf, they hold their power that it's just, it's not going to happen. And, and gangs are growing faster than they ever have before. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, you know, just from listening to that, I, you know, the thought that pops into my head is, you know, the line of work that I'm in, coaching. You know, it plays mm -hmm. a huge role in helping people. And I think that's the biggest uh, problem that everybody has with life and success and, you know, trying to do things the right way. Everybody has a preconceived notion of what the right way is and what the expectations are. Like you said, the father's supposed to fit this type of uh, category and the mother's supposed to fit over here on this side and you know you can't switch roles or you can't mix it up and if you do people are going to talk about you and what are they going to think and I think that's probably one of the biggest things that people need to realize is that you know what sometimes you need help you have to reach out and you have to understand that you can't do it all by yourself there is no manual per se on how to live life the right way um, but Deep down inside, we all know. We all know the right and the wrong things, you know, that we're doing, that we want to do, if it's right or wrong before we do it. And it's a matter of, you know, understanding it and owning up to it and deciding on the right option and not just using the excuse that, you know, my dad was never around or, you know, my dad was there, but it was the same thing as he wasn't there or whatever other excuses they may come out with. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and, and I think one of the things that gets missed that uh, that when dads aren't present or involved in, in the lives of their sons, I, I only talk about sons because I don't know what it's like to be female. We talked about that earlier. So for, for any of the listeners that are going to be hearing this, it's, it, I'm, I'm certainly not anti-female <laughs> by any stretch, but it's, it, it's young men are, is what I know best and only because I, I've been a young man. Um, I, I think the one of the things that young men are missing today and really I believe truly and honestly that they really want this to happen is boundaries there's no boundaries for them to, and, and, and I, I hesitate here for just a second in that, that there's no there's no absolute this isn't about all young men there's some young men out there that are doing wonderful things they're they're, they're smart and intelligent and they're energetic and they're devoted and they're you know they're, they're excited about where they're going and what they're doing and all that kind of stuff this isn't about every young man that walks the street out there but it's a certainly is a large number of those young fellows that walk the street out there they they want they want boundaries they want to know how far they can go before like an elastic band i mean you stretch it out as far as you can until it either snaps or it snaps back or it just they won't go any further and and young men want that too they they want to know how far they can stretch that band, that elastic band, before it either snaps back and hits them, or 
until somebody says that's far enough and you cannot go any further than that. And yeah. and I think that that's part of the problem. What we see is they're constantly yearning for somebody to tell them this is as far as you can go with that. Uh, and as a man in the world, this is where your boundaries are and this is where you stop or this is where you start or this is where you get involved or this is when you uninvolve yourself. It's that that's part of that confusion I talked about earlier is we we have no idea anymore what's acceptable for us as males in the world because the boundaries keep changing. And once we get used to one set of rules, the rules change. And now we've got to get used to a whole other set of rules. And by the time we get those sorted out, then something else has changed again. And political correctness gets involved in that. And you have to do this and you have to do that. And I mean, there's no competing for jobs in some places anymore because there's quotas. So it, it's it's just such a mess that we, we need to kind of sit down and, and, and sit across the table from, from people and discuss, have conversations as opposed to being angry with one another all the time and, and saying, well, if you didn't do this, I wouldn't do that. And if you stopped doing this, we'd have a better, you know, we need to stop the bickering and we need to, because if we don't, we're going to sacrifice the third generation of young men out there, three, third generation by my count. Um, um, and, and they're going to end up not being able to parent their kids. And that's, that's why the name of the book is a man's work is never done. This is all about, this is, in a, in a, I suppose, in a perfect world, this is about father teaching son what it's like to be a man in the world and about that transition and how to navigate those treacherous waters from boyhood to manhood. And then once that kid, that young man, learns those things, those, those critical lessons, of, of he's now in a position to teach his son and so on and so on. So a man's work is never done. It just keeps going and going and going. We pass it on from one son, one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. And hopefully, hopefully, uh, men will continue to, or, or will again, learn the joys of being engaged with their, with their families, with their offspring, you know, with their kids there, but especially with their young men and, and take pride in, in who they become and all that kind of stuff. And we've, We've lost that. Um, we've lost that in, in sort of the translation and then the mix. And, and I mean, I know how to. I, I have a, I have ideas about how to turn that around. But we've got to get enough people involved in that desire to turn it around before it'll happen or before it'll grow legs. Yeah, and and you know, as you're speaking, you know, keeps popping into my mind is that it's basically better understanding of oneself. You know, whether you're male or female, it doesn't really matter. If you're a father, you can be a better father. We can always be better. And it's striving for that betterness. And I won't say perfection because I think perfection is just an illusion. And you really accomplish that by learning about yourself, learning about your emotional intelligence, how to control the emotions, and, you know, how to take a deep breath and sometimes take a step back and look and see what's going on, what's going wrong, how to fix it. Because, like you said, this is a big problem, and it's multifaceted. You know, that's just one slight area of the problem that you're pointing out. Because, like I said, you have the financials, then you have the jobs, then you have what they do when they get married, if they get married, the type of lifestyle they live in, their relationships, and their personal life, the professional life. And it all comes back to the person that's staring at them in the mirror. You know, so I think that's probably going to be one of the best key ways of combating this and any other major problem is where 
it has to be a self-awareness process where people need to really take a look in the mirror and say, well, I really don't care what society thinks. I need to do what I know and I feel is right rather than try to appease people that don't live with me and sleep in my house. Right. And and, and I agree. I mean, this at the end of the day, we're the ones that make our own decisions. And and if we're not if, if we're not getting fed what the information and the knowledge and the examples that we need in order to formulate those those theories and those ideas and those thoughts so that we can make healthy decisions, then then we're in trouble. And and so they're they have to we, we have to encourage them to um, to spend more time introspection wise. Um, you're, you mentioned earlier, uh, you made a statement earlier, which I totally agreed with, and I didn't have a chance to, to, to say that. But, um, you know, we know, we know almost inherently, we know what's right and what's not. And um, so the only thing left at that point is making the right decision. And that's, it seems to me sometimes that that's where we have the problem is, is we we, we really don't know how to weigh out the information that we got and, and, and the time that we do spend in introspection and taking a look at ourselves and challenging our beliefs and our ideas and our, you know, the way we go about our business and what we believe to be true and all that sort of stuff. We do gather an awful lot of great information from that. It's, but what do we do with it then? You know, like how's, where's the, where's the role model now that says, um, yeah, you know, uh, uh, I've done my work. Uh, I've, I've, I've stood back in the mirror and I've taken a look at that guy and he's looking back at me and I've challenged him and and he's come up with some ideas, some healthy ideas and all that. Where did, how does he, where does he go from there? Well, how does he take that information and that, that information that he's learned about himself, which he has to do, how does he play that out in the world now? What, what does he use for a role model on um, how does he how does he navigate those waters using that information? How does that information apply to what he's doing and what he needs to do and what he wants to do? And does he know the difference between wanting and needing and and and, and all those things? So I, I think you're right. I think that's a big part of that is is kids you know they don't they don't know for sure if they really want to take a look at that guy in the mirror. You know, um, I, I think a lot of them do. But what do they do with it after that? That that's now becomes the problem. Is what do I do with it? I, I've got all of this information and all of this knowledge, and I've got all of this desire to be somebody important in the world and to do good things. I don't know how to do them. So again, we go back to how do we how do we help them use that introspective information that they've garnered now to their benefit or to their advantage. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I guess it goes back to what you alluded to at the beginning, which was the education system, because yep. I think too many too many uh, parents feel that the education system is perfect the way it is, and they're going to teach them everything that they need, and they don't realize that, you know, when something simple as homework, that means they come home and you're supposed to help them with it, you know, when they're young. And obviously when they get older, they can do it on their own. But, you know, teaching doesn't end in school, and it shouldn't start in school either. I mean, so we can't no. just blame the education system. No, you're you're right. You're spot on right 100%, uh, and, and, and I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that the education system has really let our kids down. 
what they've done and, and, and parents have allowed them to do it because you've got two parents working. Most co-parented homes, there's two parents out working. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm not, far be it for me to pass judgment on that. Um, but the, the whole thing is, is most parents, especially those that come from co-parented homes, don't have the time and the energy at the end of the day to do those things. So they'll allow the educational system to take over and be partners with them as parents in the kids' lives. And, and they'll do it, they'll do it happily. You know, they'll, you know, run, I sent them to school and you got them for eight hours. So, you know, you tell them, you teach them, you do this, you do this. And, and because they don't have, they don't have the time and the energy at the end of the day, by the time one of them gets home, gets dinner started and mows the lawn and, and, um, you know, when, when do they get a chance to sit down and just relax because they've been on the go since seven o'clock in the morning and, uh, you know, they fought their way through, you know, traffic and to get home and I mean it just goes on and on and on and, and there's no shortage of there's no shortage of places where they can spend energy and then they got to come home um, I, I think sometimes that they abdicate their responsibilities parents too easily and too quickly to the school system and the school system isn't isn't doing what it needs to do because it gets overwhelmed with all the things that they're expected to do and it, it just it's like a it's like a domino effect, you know, it goes down the line and everybody kind of gets knocked down and nobody knows how to get up and what to do and how to change it. And, and so they just, you know, a lot of cases, I don't know what it's like in the States, but a lot of cases in Canada here, they just throw money at it and hope it goes away. What's the solution everywhere? Pretty well. And, they, and well, we're, we're going to have a study. Well, you know, we've had 19 studies now and nothing has changed. So, so maybe we shouldn't study anymore. Maybe we should just try doing things. Yeah, I'm convinced I know the reason for that. It's because they don't know how to come up with a solution, so they're just going to keep studying. Well, and that's and that's the way it looks, isn't it? I mean, that's exactly sort of the way it looks. It's, we're, we're as stymied as everybody else, and we got no idea what to do with it either, so we'll just keep, you know, and and it's really unfortunate because it, they, they have, the educational system has a wonderful opportunity here, and they're not seeing it. I mean, they'll tell you that they see it, but I, as an outsider and, and somebody who's run two kids through the educational system, um, I, I don't think that they're seeing the whole picture. And yeah. um, I, I don't know what, what you do as a parent to help them see the picture differently because because they're in a place where they feel that they're the educated ones and they've got a leg up and they, they know and they've got all these they've got all these experts to do this and child psychologists and all that. Boy, you know, take a kid out and teach him how to hunt, and, and you can. The child psychologist is is all of a sudden rendered useless. I mean, teach him how to survive. You know, yeah. we, we don't need to understand particularly what they're doing. We need to understand how they can how they can use the skills that they have to their best advantage. And I think that's partial partial of the problem is that you know the schools are only teaching them so much. And I remember when I was going to school, and, you know, I might have been in elementary school, maybe maybe early junior high, probably early junior high, and, you know, I would often gaze off and start staring into space, and the teachers <laughs> would say, you know, like, hey, Paul, you know, snap out of it. You're going to pay attention? I'm like, listen, you know, when you start to teach me something that's important that I could actually use in the real world, then, I'll, then you'll have my full undivided attention. And I wasn't trying to be a smartass. It no. was just... It was just being real, you know. This is, you know, you're not really teaching me anything important right now. I don't I, teach me about, you know, a checkbook. How do I balance a checkbook? How do I write checks? 
you know, I mean, I had a neighbor that told me his son got his first paycheck and he was all excited. He went to the bank, he went to cash it, and the bank said to him, well, do you have an account? He says, no, I don't have an account. He says, my boss's check, just cash it. They said, no, well, we have to cash it against your account. And, you know, the kid was flabbergasted. He didn't understand what was going on. He was lost. And he was like, no, but my boss has money. Just take it out of his check. And he didn't even know how to cash a check properly. You know, and you think that this might be important for the schools to teach you, you know, and for the parents to pick up on. And, you know, it's just sad that we're in 2015, and yet we're still working in caveman day t- times. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And 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 for me, uh, you, you'd asked me the question earlier about what motivated me to write this book and all that kind of stuff. And, and for me, it's exactly what you're talking about. I mean, we we've lost we've lost our way. We've lost our purpose as, as adults in, in terms of being parents. And we've, we've, we've somehow, we've, we've dropped the ball in a big, in a huge way as a society. And, and we, we need to get back to the, to me, we need to get back to the individual family members. We need to get back to the, to the, to the, the little house on the corner of the street, you know, with the, with the nice little picket fence and all that kind of stuff. We need to get back to kind of, helping those folks um, if they need to be helped in any way, shape, or form to, to kind of manage their families, if that's if that's the right word. I'm not saying stick our nose in where it doesn't belong. I'm saying, hey, if there's something going on there, let's reach out and help each other and support each other here so that we can all do better. And we're, we've kind of lost that. The school system, like you we were just talking about, has lost that idea. Parents, so many parents have lost that idea. We've We've really sold our souls for the almighty buck. And, yeah, um, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, but we've given up the most important thing. To me, there is nothing more important and more sacred than the life of a little created, a little human being that we've created. And, and they didn't ask to be created. You know, they, they just, they, <laughs> you know, nine months later, out they came and they said, well, here I am, world, you know, what are you going to do with me? And, and we, we have forgotten, I think, the importance of taking and 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 the joy and the responsibility of taking that little life and molding it into a into a, a, a that's our job and we're not we're not as parents as a collective group we're not doing a good job of that and we we're expecting other people to do it and they're not doing a good job of it either and the ones that are suffering again like I said are the, are the young folks and the families in this case this father and the sons that's that's the message that I want to get out to people. Um, the folks that are going to listen to this broadcast, that's that's what I want them to walk away with and take away with is, my goodness, is is that me? Is that what I'm doing? The, the hard the hardest part I found about doing this work for me is um, is getting parents to recognize what they're doing and but help them feel that they're not being judged by it. Uh, most parents, uh, when I when I do speaks and stuff like that, you, you, can, you can just tell, I can, well, I can look in the audience and I can look at them in their eyes and they're looking at me and I can tell you what's running through their heads already. It's, I'll bet you think I'm a terrible parent and that's the reason why I came to listen to you tonight. And nothing will be further from the truth. I invite people to come and listen so that we can all we can get onto the same page or, or start to put ideas together that are similar, that are supportive of each other so that we can all become more involved in our families and we can all become better parents and we can all be, you know, turn out more responsible kids that were, you know, that, that are, that are helping out in society and all that kind of, that's the whole idea. It's not about judgment and it's not about saying, 
you know, I've got all the answers uh, and you guys are terrible parents, but that's the reason why you're here. So I'm going to make you better. It's, it, that's not it at all. It, it's let's, let's get going from where we are and add to our arsenal, so to speak, as parents so that we can become even better parents than we are now. That's to me, that's the message that, that I, I would like to kind of impart with people is, is, is that, you know, so, so getting people to talk about this has been really difficult because they, they know what the situations are. They just, they're afraid almost to kind of stand up and say, yeah, I understand that, you know, um, because they're, uh, I think they're afraid that other people will think they're horrible parents and nobody wants to be seen as a terrible parent. So better to be quiet sometimes, I suppose. Yeah, well, I guess if you uh, measure what's more important to you, you know, and then make that decision, yep. you, at some point you're going to realize, and hopefully it's before it's too late and before your child goes the wrong way, that you realize that you need to do something to change. And that leads back to what I stated earlier, which was you definitely need a leadership role in the household. I mean, you have a mom and a dad, that's great, but now which one's in charge? Which one's the good cop? Which one's the bad cop? You know, I, I love being the bad cop. I have no problem being the bad cop, the enforcer. That's me. You know, mom's the good yeah. cop. And that's what works for me in my household. They might be opposite for some other couples, and that's fine. But you have to decide on what works and use that to your advantage. Now, James, um, I'd love to have you back on the show. I mean, we're running out of time. Um, just tell the folks how they can get in touch with you and find out more about the work that you're doing. The, the easiest way right now, Paul, is to just send me an email. I've uh, kind of marketed some of my own books. Um, so if, if somebody is interested in reading the book, um, they can just send me an email. I'll give you the email address. What I will do, though, is post, um, probably use Facebook or whatever to post. So if, if folks want to go, they can just type in my name on Facebook and get my, get my news feed page there. My email address is Jim, J-I-M, all lowercase, dot, Life Choice, L-I-F-E-C-H-O-I-C-E, at gmail.com. Sounds good. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes so that Life Warriors can go there and uh, pick it up in the show notes if they can just click on it and they'll be able sure. to send you an email directly. Um, Absolutely. But I'd, I'd be happy to answer questions, you know, or, or explain something that I've said tonight on the show. Um I just, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. that. That's not a problem for me at all. And for all you life warriors listening out there, just to reaffirm this, me and Jim, we're not sexist. We're not knocking women in no way, no shape, no form. We no. understand their importance. And you know what? Uh, to be honest with you, I wouldn't want to trade places. I'm happy with being a man, and I don't <laughs> want the responsibilities of being a woman and handling all of that. You know, I look at my wife, and I tell her, God bless you, because I don't know how you do all that you do. I would never be able to do that. So in no I way, agree. shape, or form. Yeah, I agree. And, and if anybody does have any concerns about my stance that way, uh, if they happen to pick up a copy of the book, they'll realize that one of the characters, I, I just... I, I, I fell in love with her as I was sort of creating her uh, through the, she's such an exceptional woman. Uh, it's, it's amazing. So um, I agree with you, Paul. And thanks for putting that in there. I appreciate that because I was wondering how I was going to add that. So you did it very, very well. <laughs> and I appreciate you speaking for me there. So Yeah, not a problem. All right, Life Warriors, that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. Like always, go out there and live life to your fullest, and I'll catch you on that battlefield that we call life. And don't forget to subscribe so that you'll be notified when the latest episodes are released. <laughs>